1: welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm your host, Max Kaiser. We have a great show for you today. With us, we have Brian K. Roby, fellow at the Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. He's here to talk to us about his new book, The Mizrahi Era of Rebellion. Okay, welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm your host, Max Kaiser. We have a great show for you today. With us we have Brian K. Roby, fellow at the Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. He's here to talk to us about his new book, The Mizrahi Era of Rebellion, Israel's Forgotten Civil Rights Struggle, 1948 to 1966, published in 2015 by Syracuse University Press. Brian, thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Great. So first off, could you just tell, tell us a little bit about how you came to write this book?
0: Uh, sure. So um, during my PhD, which uh, I received from the University of Manchester, I uh, was working on uh, Middle Eastern history in general, um, with a particular focus on Israel. And a lot of what I read in terms of the literature did talk about kind of the uh, discriminatory practices um, against Mizrahi or Sephardic or Middle Eastern Jews. But um, the kind of conclusion was that during the 50s and 60s, there wasn't much of a kind of a protest or a fight against um, discrimination um, or against inequality. Um, And I sort of questioned it. I thought it was pretty strange, uh, particularly like with the kind of popularity of uh, the African-American civil rights movement. Um, And in my research, I looked a lot at um, police reports and newspapers from the time. And what I found was like this wealth of information that was available that kind of showed you like the uh, dynamics of uh, Mizrahi protests, which included like sit-ins and hunger strikes. Um, And a lot of the influence was based on um, both kind of like um, the independence movements in the Arab world, but also like uh, Gandhi, um, people were also influenced by uh, King and other like African-American civil rights leaders. So that's how I, how I kind of started in terms of that.
1: Great. So can you give us a little bit of um, background about sort of the establishment of the State of Israel and who, you know, what basically the population makeup was and uh, sort of the short little history of, of migration um, during this period? And, and then can you tell us a bit about um, your first chapter, which details the role of the Israel National Police um, during this period?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. So the um, kind of, of course, you know, the uh, establishment of the state of Israel in 1948. Um, and as a result of the Arab Israeli uh, conflict, <clears throat> a lot of Jews um, from the middle East, Africa and Asia were um, either forced out or left because of um, persecution, um, uh, forced out of their countries of origin and uh, migrated to the state of Israel. Um Not everyone was Zionist. There were uh, lots of Zionists involved in this uh, from the Middle East. Um, And when they arrived, um, a good portion of them were from Iraq and from a middle or upper class background. Um, A lot of civil servants and well-educated people uh, spoke English and French. um, And they were placed in these transit camps called Ma'abarot. Um, and in these transit camps, which were they were only supposed to live in for a few months, they ended up living in uh, for sometimes six years, ten years. Um, and they were often just ten shacks, sometimes just canvas tents. Um, and so there was a lot of death and disease involved in that um, and a lot of feelings of just being kind of oppressed because uh, they came from a non-European background. Um, at the time, there was um, the... Um, the kind of state elite were mostly of European Jewish origin. Um, and so there was this kind of like, you know, uh, unequal balance between representation in, in the uh, in the Knesset or the parliament and the people who were living in the country. So within like five or six years or within 10 years, about 600,000 uh, Jews from the Middle East uh, had migrated to, this, uh, to the state. Um, and so uh, just to get into my first chapter, what I what I did in that, I talked a lot about the Israel police because this was kind of the basis of my research, um, kind of methods. Um, and I looked at police reports and also the police, uh, kind of annual reports, which talked about the guiding principles. And what I found was that, uh, there was a concerted effort on the part of the Israel police to recruit, uh, Mizrahi Jews. Um, and the purpose of that was that they assumed that if Mizrahi Jews were, uh, kind of, um, Recruited into the police, they would become better integrated in society and also civilized to a certain extent. So there was this assumption that uh, they all came from backwards countries and didn't know how uh, to read or write and things like that. Um, and so if they were, if they would engage uh, with the police, who were mostly Ashkenazi Jews at the time, uh, then they would learn like the kind of civil civilized way to behave. Um, and so that's kind of the crux of the first uh, first chapter. And I talk a little bit about parallels between. Uh, this project, and also the this project of civilization uh, civilizing, and uh, that of um, uh, the American police Force, which also had like kind of a, a similar goal in mind in terms of uh, blacks and Irish um, trying to integrate them into society through the police.
1: Great, so tell us a bit about uh, what you call the foundations of the Misrahi civil rights struggle in the first decade of um, israel 's existence. And what can you tell us about any attempts at solidarity between Misrahi and uh, Palestinian activists?
0: Sure. Um, so uh, in the second chapter, when I talk about the foundations of this movement uh, or the struggle, um, I look at um, a couple of intellectuals, Abraham Abbas and uh, Eliyahu Eliyashar, um the first of which uh, Abraham Abbas was the Iraqi-born uh member of the of Knesset and Elia Ushara was born in uh, in Mandate Palestine and was a lawyer and a kind of uh, rights activist at the time um, and I view this as the foundations of the struggle mostly because um, a lot of what they were arguing with they were they were saying there is discrimination it needs to be stopped before it gets worse um, and part of that uh, kind of intellectual uh, you know engagement with the with Knesset and also other different politicians was, uh, would form the basis of protests. So people would, uh, you know, have these protests either outside of the Sakhnot, which is the Jewish agency, um, or, uh, in one incident in front of the Knesset. Um, and afterwards, uh, Elia Shah would write articles saying that, you know, this is, uh, this is another example of kind of discrimination that's taking place, uh, against, um, Mizrahi, uh, immigrants at the time. Um, you also have an Indian intellectual who would uh, write to the Jerusalem Post uh, talking about this idea of the melting pot. So the melting pot in Israel was this, uh, just like in America, uh, was this idea that um, every immigrant would need to uh, kind of uh, assimilate themselves into uh, idealized uh, Western Israel, uh, Westernized uh, Israeli culture. Um, and um, A.I. Makmoul is his name, the Indian intellectual. So he wrote that. Um, it's a great idea, but that needs to include the integration of, you know, uh, uh, Asian and Arab culture as well, because this is also part of our roots as Jews, that we are rooted very much within the Middle East and Asia. Um, in terms of solidarity efforts with Palestinians, um, I did find um, some instances, mostly through the Communist Party, uh, of which um, a lot of Iraqi Jews took, place, uh, took part in, Um Whereas they would try to, you know, have protests um, alongside Palestinians who were then living in uh, under military rule. So I'm talking about civilians, not those that were uh, living in Jordan or uh, Lebanon at the time. Um, And they would have these protests saying that, you know, there needs to be an end to the military.